What's going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, where we give you the tools and insights to improve your lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation with the top minds in their fields today. Brought to you by SEAC, a global leader in lifelong learning and innovation. You can check them out at seasiacenter.com. I've got all their details down in the show notes. I'm your host, Dana Bluen, and this is the second part of our full interview with the CEO of Subrosa and the author of the book, Applied Empathy, The New Language of Leadership, Michael Ventura. So sit back, relax, and let's get right into it. Do you ever get a client where you come in with a solution based on the empathy methodology, applied empathy, and they're just like, not here? No. No, because they come along for the ride. They're not. They're never black boxed so long that when we come in, they don't. They're they are surprised by what they're being presented. Mm. Uh, the the process is inherently collaborative. Some clients want extreme collaboration. You know, like we have clients who literally work out of our office because <laughs> they they would prefer to be hand in glove with us. And so that's they come right into Subrosa uh-huh. office in New York and yeah, set we've up got shop. A, we've got a little space that kind of we carve out for clients. Yeah. And they can sit there and they, and our team will sit with her and work with them. It, do, it doesn't last for a long time, but like there are intense moments where, hey, for the next week and a half, we should be in the same room together every day. Mm. And let's do that. And of course, we have our team sitting in client side too mm. sometimes, but it's actually interesting that some want to come to us because it gets them out of that world and, and gives them some fresh eyes. Is that about constraints or thought constraints? Yeah, I think so. I think it doing that, helps open the aperture a bit wider and you get to take more in and be able to see and feel more when you, when you kind of get out of your comfort zone. You talked about, so feel more, right? When you're out of that comfort zone, I, I think a big part of empathy is the, I don't know if feeling's the right word here. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but relate. Yeah. Perhaps? I think relate. I, I like relate better, to be honest. I, I stay away from the feeling words because um i I mean i'm a a pretty spiritual fella myself personally but i know that in certain contexts that doesn't sell and so um you know if you ask a clinical psychologist some of the definitions they would give you for empathy is a quote-unquote feeling into another Mm. person and i actually think that that goes a step too far uh, it's where in, in like the medical profession, they talk about nurses particularly more so than doctors having empathy burnout mm. because they're feeling so much of the emotions of all of the patients they're dealing with. To me, I think that in the business context, at least maybe for nursing, and I don't know enough about nursing to have an opinion, but uh, in the business context, when you're feeling, you've gone too far. I think what, what I really believe is relating, understanding, um, perspective taking, I think those are three powerful terms from a business perspective. Yeah. And if you can yeah. stop it there and not let it then impact you, because mm-hmm. if it's impacting you, it's, it's gone deeper than that, right? It's gone into, you, you've somaticized this information in some way that you otherwise shouldn't. I, I've always viewed the people who feel, who get to that feeling point in business are the red-faced, screaming, throwing things yes. individuals. Yeah. Or they're the burned out, burned out ones that like can't those, those feel. Those are generally any. the same group. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's just a different part on the continuum, probably. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the 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 thing that I've been talking about of late, as this book has come out, and I've started to have, it's been interesting. Coming out with the book has has kind of opened a different level of conversation with mm. with clients who are willing to share even a little bit more because I think the book has added some. Um, it opened, uh, it opened our curtain to 
our process even more so than we had in the past. Mm. And so a topic that keeps coming up is what I've been referring to as the braiding of people and culture, mm. brand, and business model. And the companies that do that braiding the best build the strongest business, yeah. much like a, when a rope is braided, it's stronger than if it's just an individual strand, right? Mm. Um, people and culture have to be addressed. If you don't have a strong point of view on it, if you don't know the type of people you're employing, and if you don't know the culture that they're working within, you're at a disadvantage. If you don't have a clear sense of your brand, and I don't just mean what it looks like. I mean, what are its values? What does it stand for? What What is its reason for being? That's kind of your bread and butter, right? Yep. That's where our business really started was in creating that sort of thing or reimagining it for brands that sort of lost their way. And then and then the third is the business model and, and really making sure that the business model clicks with those other two things. Do you have the right people and do you have the right vision, mission, values mm. that can be fulfilled through this business model? The business model is one of the things that I always preach to startups and mm. entrepreneurs is get that right. Yeah. And yeah. then understand, and, and very similar to what you said, understand your core values. I don't go so much on the brand stuff. That's not my strong suit, mm -hmm. but core values and business model. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you, if you know those things, then, you know, I often tell clients uh, a strategy, a good strategy should help you know what to say no to, mm. not what to say yes to. Powerful word, no. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the most powerful words, I think, in business. Yeah. In leadership. Mm -hmm. Knows help focus. Yeah. Set boundaries, too. Mm -hmm. You said something earlier, though. I, I kind of want to go back to and get your take on. You talked about nurses, you know, having empathy burnout. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about taking the applied empathy model? And you said for them, it, it's really if they're getting burnt out, they're feeling more. Have you ever thought about taking that model and working with a healthcare company to help them understand the scope that you can take empathy as far as understanding and perception and not feel and not get burnt out? Yeah, it's actually come up uh, in very recent weeks. There is a uh, consortium of life science companies mm. who I've spoken to individually i happened to just like give a talk at one then was booked to give a talk at another and so like i was at like three in the span of maybe like three weeks yeah and the themes were all the same and everyone was kind of saying the same stuff and so i emailed them all back individually and said have you been talking with so and so and and they were like we haven't but we probably should we should mm. probably all get together because we're all trying to tackle the same thing and yes on some levels we're competitors but on other levels we're complementary to each other and so i think there is there's a lot to say in the life sciences and healthcare space that has done has really evolved and gotten to a good place but there's a lot more evolution to still go mm. even in the form of um drug delivery and compliance right so what i mean by that compliance side is how how uh how much you're actually following the prescription right mm. And when you, like, so I'll give you an example. So there's a there's an Alzheimer uh, uh, approach right now that is um, sort of being designed around the way the patient experiences their life and using big data to ma measure and track it in a passive sense. So mm -hmm. historically, what you'd do is you'd have a nurse who comes every couple days and check in on an Alzheimer patient. And if the nurse feels like they're feeling off or like notices that the house is a little messier or something like that, there are some early warning signs that essentially say that Alzheimer's is hitting mm. in, a, in a heavier way. What big data and these sensors are now allowing people to do is to track the 
behavior 24 hours a day. And if you start to see that like they leave and come back into the house three times every time they go out because they're forgetting their keys or they're forgetting their wallet or this or that, the sensors are actually starting to pick it up and it's comparing it to norms and national averages. Mm. And it's being able to kind of like send that flag up earlier uh, than the happenstantial observation of a part-time caregiver coming mm. in and out of a house. So as you start to think about how empathy can play a role in healthcare in the future, you start to think about sensors, you start to think about data, you start to think about IoT and, and things like that, and it starts to become a really interesting conversation. Now, IoT and big data is actually part of my background in tech. Mm. So I did a lot of my, my research and also my startups and we're in that space. One of the things that I love about big data, especially being able to crunch these huge macro sets of data, is that we can gain great insights. And I had never really thought about before today the application of empathy into the, the analysis side of it. Yeah. Well, another example of this would be if you think about your personal assistant on your phone, right? Yeah. So like my Siri, that doesn't work. Well, that, that, I'm glad you said it first. Siri's not a great product. You could say it. It yeah. sucks. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Siri sucks. Yeah. It's it, and and Apple knows it too, right? They, they know. Yeah. The, that said, I know Google's working on their assistant product. Apple's continuing to think about different ways to deliver a better assistant as well. Mm. What is actually the challenge and, and a topic we're talking about with, with several technology companies is how does empathy and AI intersect, mm. right? And, uh, and when it does, that's when real recommendations are going to start to be valuable to you, right? Like, I don't want to know... When I say, like, I could not say to Siri, Siri, what shows are happening at Madison Square Garden that I want to see in the next three months? Like, that that question cannot be answered. I'll get a list of all shows. All shows. Right? But the AI that is able to look in my Spotify playlists and see the songs I listen to the most and look at the shows that are running in Madison mm. Square Garden and look at the bands that friends of mine also follow that I find influential and then come back to me and say, these are the three shows you should pay attention to. Like yeah. we're, we're maybe months away from that happening. You like think I, we're months away? I, I mean, that may be a bit, a a bit aggressive. Side. I, I, I think that it, the technology is moving at such a pace that it's not going to be 10 years from now. It's probably not even going to be five years from now. I think we'll start to see that code getting cracked more fa uh, more rapidly in sort of verticals first it's not going to happen uniformly well this is my my take on it, it I, I don't disagree with you that the contextualized ai is going to be there sooner rather than later yeah is breaking down those api walls mm -hmm. between siri and spotify, spotify and, and facebook and all of that yeah. well i think that if it's opt-in mm. and if consumers say i want this and i would like mm. i have i have a very uh, this is this is kind of taking an interesting turn but i have a very um liberal view on my own privacy. Mm. I think as privacy laws exist overall, I, I am for as much privacy as people want. Mm. Me personally, I kind of don't care. Like if it's going to give me a better experience so that if I open up my address book to this app so that I can get, you know, a better recommendation, like I, I'm not protecting trade secrets in my phone. You know, like I don't Hopefully. care. Yeah. <laughs> like to me, I, I have, I am pretty liberal with my data. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what liberal breeds in recommendations and in mm. enhanced user experiences for myself. But broad, more broadly speaking, I think the, the you know, privacy rights belong in the hands of users. I, I don't disagree with that at all. And I, I'm actually, you know, before the big data era, before the IoT era, I had 
you know, in the, the post-social media, pre-big data world, I had a view that privacy, I could enhance my own privacy by making more information available right. publicly. Interesting. Because that allowed me to control more easily what was private without question. Right. In a big data world, I don't necessarily know that that's the same. Mm -hmm. I haven't really taken the time to explore it. But I also am willing to exchange a potential violation of my privacy for convenience. Yeah. And I'm all for that. Yeah. Because if it, if it adds benefit from a productivity, from a, a life standpoint, then, hey, let's do it. Yeah. Right. I just – I don't want, you know – the medical records of, you know, the entire city of New York uh, to be availed to uh, a pharmaceutical company without my permission. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, well, the health is the one place I'm really concerned about it. I, you know, and being, you know, American, I have understanding of HIPAA and what, how that applies. Yep. And I know you, if I use an Apple phone on the Apple OS and HIPAA is applied to my health data yep. you know, as far as sharing goes, I'm not sure that I would have the same level of confidence with a phone from another from a company that doesn't do business in the u.s and have to implement hipaa across the board right yeah i i totally agree i think that there is um it's a slippery slope yeah. for that sort of thing but there is there there are certain areas where i'm inclined towards being a bit more liberal because it's going to ultimately create a better experience exactly yeah. and like, so like my, my geolocation information mm -hmm. you know my health you know for the most part you know basic fitness activity level stuff yeah. not deeper health data yeah whatever marital we've, status yeah. we've we've talked with a couple of the companies in the uh genomic mapping space right mm. so the 23andme's ancestry.coms of the world yeah. and uh it's interesting how they start to look at that because there's a there's a a, a generation of primarily millennials uh, who are and Gen Z who are actually really interested in getting the the data on um, uh, uh, what are they called predictors or indicators for mm. their for their genetic makeup to yeah. say like I want to know at 25 years old if I have a higher likelihood of Alzheimer's mm. at some point in the future because I can be pre preventative now yeah um, and and there's this real struggle happening in that category about what you as a client as a customer should be allowed to know and not know which is kind of crazy it is you know i've been for a better part of 20 years i've tracked considerable amounts of data on myself and i've had before you know wearables and being able to track i, I would track daily weights i have before even spreadsheets i have notebooks right you know since the 90s wow uh, I, i've been really into the the concept of quantified self yeah understanding myself better I wish in my 20s I had access to the genetic information I have access to today. Totally. Well, I was a very early user of uh, 23andMe. Um, I was one of like I was probably like in the first 10,000 users oh, wow. on it because um, it was a it was a it was a it was offered to me at a conference I was attending uh, to to be like a beta client of it. Right. Okay. So signed up, did it, mm -hmm. and at that time all of that information was totally available. So I could log on and I could get, you know, you are 60% more likely to have cataracts than, mm. you know, than the at national average or this or that. And it was amazingly valuable information. And, and I wish I like screen capped it because uh, it's no longer available to me. Mm. It's actually been dialed back. So I log in now and I, that information is now, uh, it sits behind a wall that 23andMe owns and now Glasgow SmithKline owns, yeah. uh, but I don't. 
And so what would you have to do to be able to access that information? Or can I, you not I even? don't think I can. I think huh. that uh, the, the way the – there may be some, like, loophole that I'm not aware of. You know, I'm kind of – I haven't done the, the, the digging enough. But um, the interface doesn't, ac doesn't allow you to access it anymore. Wow. Um, and the, the, the prevailing wisdom that I've picked up as I've talked with some people about it is that uh, the – insurance companies in the US don't want you to have that information because in a way they make money when you're sick. That's such a broken system. <laughs> talk, talk about a, a system that has a lack of empathy. Yes, tops on the list. <laughs> That's insane. But, and it's crazy that they retroactively restricted your information. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised that there hasn't been like a, be in America that there hasn't been a class action suit. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, it's it's early. I, I mean, this this has only uh, is probably in the works because mm. I think that like the the GSK partnership. I don't know if it's a full acquisition, but it's a big deal yeah. between them and and Twenty Three and Me that happened uh, in the past six months. Yeah. So I think that there's still stuff getting shaken out on that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's that's insane. But I mean that that data is so powerful. Like, yeah. Understanding your genetic makeup and the things that you have precursors for yes. and that you don't. Very powerful. Yeah. Very, very powerful, especially from a health perspective. Right. I mean, that is, I mean, it's not the only, it, it doesn't say that because you have that precursor, it's, mm. you absolutely will have this issue, but it's a big input to it, right? Yeah. And you could you could manage your life in a different way if you knew that information. You make different decisions. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've used, um, I've used a few different genetic mapping services to get insights and data, and I do blood work every year to check for markers and mm -hmm. things like that, and you know, multiple times a year. And like I said, I've been very persistent about my, my health data for a long time. Yeah. And the, the value that that adds in adjusting your decision-making is, is huge. I bet. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I want to start to wrap this up because I know that we have to get on to the, the next phase of the, the day. Talking about applied empathy, you know, what, what is the one thing that someone can do now to start to, to make changes. Yeah. So go back into your organization and do two things. One, uh, have questions for yourself. Have a real ability to ask yourself the questions you're not asking yourself. You know, yeah. what, are you, what are you avoiding? What are your unconscious biases? What are the hard conversations you're not having with your colleagues or your leadership team or what have you? What are those questions? And, and go ask them or go, or go act upon them. Mm -hmm. And then the same is what... what questions do you need to be asking of others, right? What do you need to be asking of your team? What do you need to be asking of your customers? What do you need to be asking? Because good empathy starts with inquiry. Um, it's not the, it's not the only way in, but for me, it's the, it's the, it's a great starting off place because we all know how to ask questions and we all know the question we're afraid to ask. So if you start there, I guarantee you, you will open up a new piece of information. It may not be the whole puzzle, but it'll at least give you a new piece. And from that piece, you can kind of grow and, and, and explore from there. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, brought to you by SEAC. To find amazing resources on lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation, you can check them out at seasiacenter.com, as well as their links in the show notes. And for more great conversations like this one, you can find our archive at selfdisruptionpodcast.com.